For real. We're going. Okay, let's try that again. Okay. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the podcast about rugby and some other things. Tonight we have again Andrew and Ant with us, and I'm Phil as your host. Andrew, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, thank you. I'm sipping on a single malt whiskey, so I'm a happy man. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I am looking forward to another weekend of rugby after not no rugby this weekend, but a relatively you know quiet weekend. So looking forward to the rugby championship getting going again. And how about you? How are things in your side of the woods? Yeah, good. We're having a very up and down winter, but we had sunshine today, so enjoying it as opposed to the, whatever it was last week. Um, but I think we're heading back to the rain again tomorrow. But uh, yeah, all, all, all weeks end happily if there's rugby on, um, even if it's at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, 7.30 and then a 9.30 for the All Blacks and Argentina and then the rest of the day. There's sevens and there's some other things, but it will be an interesting, a different sort of Saturday compared to the ones that we've had. So to be more um, fruitful, not wholesome. Wholesome is the word I'm looking for. Wholesome, <laughs> yeah. Being such an early Saturday, it also might set the tone for the weekend. If the Springboks <laughs> have a bit of a shitty performance, it's not going to, you know, make the rest of that Saturday and Sunday feel amazing. But let's see, let's see how it goes. Um, speaking of the Springboks in Australia, we the first team has been announced by the Springboks. We'll get into that later. Um, but first, we're going to run through some news items from this week and the weekend. Um, and on Friday, the Springbok women were again in action in their second test against Spain. They were able to pick up another win to get a 2-0 series win. This time, they managed to win 37-14. It was played in Poch on Friday. It wasn't quite as straightforward as the previous match, but... I mean, a 37-14 win is still quite comprehensive in the end, despite being down at halftime. Andrew, were you able to watch any of this one? I didn't get to watch it live, but I did make sure to catch up on the highlights. And yeah, an interesting contrast to last or the previous match. And uh, maybe it was a bit of a come down from being able to play at Ellis Park and all the excitement from the first win over uh, their much-vaunted opponents, uh, Spain who in the women's game are actually one of the powerhouses. Um, yeah, I watched the highlights and it looked like we did regress a little bit in terms of the discipline and the execution. Uh, I think there were three yellow cards in the game, um, so a little bit scrappy from that perspective. And some of the missed tackles which let Spain get into an early lead, which they carried into half time, were a bit suspect. But great that they got their physical dominance back. It looked like most of that second half, they were um, back to their best that we saw at Ellis Park and Lysander Dunke basically you know, making up for her yellow card in the first half and charging over for a great try. She ran a really nice line off the nine. Um, Nadine Ruiz with another really good try coming in from fullback. Um, and Libby Janssen van Rensburg even chipping in with a drop goal off the bench. So some cool skills being shown by the ladies and... Well done to them getting another win. They've I just checked the rankings before the pod and they've gone above Spain to 11th mm. and Spain have dropped to 12th. So nice. they're climbing and hopefully they're back in the, the top 10 very soon. Yeah, onwards nice. and upwards. Yeah, um, it's only a couple of months out from the World Cup now, huh? Yeah, and I think there were some changes in the match also. So hopefully that's sort of, you know, rotating a little bit, building some more depth, getting, like you say, building for that World Cup. Um, and... Yeah, and did you check out the highlights or see any parts of the match? Yeah, I did catch the highlights. Um, as, as Andrew said, some really nice tries scored. Um, there's a beautiful fend, I think, from the inside centre, which was nice to see. Um, but yeah, we, we do still have some, some physical dominance. And Rusty would be proud. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's cool that um, I think seven or eight of the 13 women named in the SA7 squad for the Sevens World Cup are in the 15s team as well, so they'll get some really good uh, high high octane training for the sevens to get them ready for that, and then hopefully they bring that back to the 15s for the World Cup shortly after. Because I think the sevens World Cup is early September, and yes. yeah. the 15s Women's World Cup is in October, so there's not a lot of time between the two. 
Um, yeah. So you just hope that they can keep some fluidity. But I'm sure there's a lot of teams in the women's game who have some serious overlap between the sevens and 15. So it's going to be a common problem, I think. That's pretty crazy, yeah. Just because they're so close together. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I also but yeah, saw... I mean, the, the Rugby World Cup was meant to be last year, huh? Hey? Yes. Yeah. So that's, I think, what's caused some of the scheduling over that. Yeah. I also saw that uh, the J- Japanese women's team lost 22-57 to Ireland. So although we had one decent result against Japan, um, yeah, perhaps, you know, when we... Uh, meet some tougher opposition, we'll also be able to gauge ourselves a bit better. Like you say, Spain are a lot stronger in the women's game, so it's still two great results, but um, yeah, we'll be I good to see. I saw the New, New Zealand women also put a record score on the Aussie women, like 55-10 or something. I mean, there are some good teams out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a big gulf in the women's game between like the top four or five women's teams and the rest. But it's still promising to see South Africa coming up. We're not going to, in like a few games, just catch up to the likes of England and New Zealand, who are the undisputed top two at the moment. But, you know, as long as we're training in the right direction, that's a good thing. For sure, for sure. Yeah, moving on swiftly then. Um, I think the Australian squad announcement was probably the most interesting out of the rugby championship announcements that we saw. Um, Most notably... The recall of Bernard Foley, who we haven't seen in an Australian shirt for, I don't know when the last time was. I'm not sure if you guys saw. And then James O'Connor has been left out. Um, when I, Maybe he was in the squad, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah, that's been a while. <laughs> yeah, and he obviously has been playing in Japan. Um, and I would say that they are lacking a bit of fly half death, but just despite having Lolesio and O'Connor in the squads, but perhaps it's a sign of just not being happy with what they have, going back to someone like Bernard Foley. What do you think, Ant? Yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting one. I see they did actually, they called up Ben Donaldson today as well, unofficially, um, into the squad as a training member, but not a squad member. So what, what I think, I mean, it's just really interesting on that point is someone put together an analysis of all the under-20 fly-offs from, I think it was 2012 through to 2020 in Australia, sure. and how maybe half of them have got game time at Super Rugby. So, I mean, half of them haven't even made it to Super Rugby. And even then, it's guys like Kyle Godwin, who's played zero caps at 10. Um, yeah. you know, you've got guys like Mac Manson, who's played maybe a handful of games, and then some of the young guys like Lodicea and, and Ben Donaldson and stuff. But basically, there's been kind of eight or nine years of under-20 fly-offs, none of whom have really cracked it at super rugby level. And that's kind of why they're sitting with this problem where you've got Quaid and Ben Foley on the one hand and James O'Connor and then five or ten captain Lelessio on the other side. Um, so it's yeah, it's not a good position for them to be in with Quaid crocked and in a race against time to make it back down to the World Cup. They've dropped O'Connor because obviously they feel that maybe he's not there. You know, that they're kind of looking at potentially Alberta Foley and Alessio as the two fly-offs for the World Cup. I mean, there's no time to get someone like Ted Edmund or Donaldson ready by then, considering they're not even at the squad. So, yeah, it's, it's not a good position for them to be in. Um, and I suppose it talks to just the, the poor structures they have to get players from under-20 level into the senior um, comp. And I think, you know, that, that talks to much deeper rooted issues in Australia, like the lack of an NRC and things like that. Um, sure. But yeah, it's 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 it is fly off is a very big issue for them. Yeah, yeah I don't know, yeah, like if uh, you know, I've been banging on this up lately, fussy drum for a while, and I feel like they're managing uh, Nola Lucio in a similarly poor manner. Like the guy started a test, then was dropped for Quaid when he came back from injury. Then they brought in James O'Connor. Now they've dropped O'Connor and brought Lucio back. Um, with Bernard Foley, who hasn't played for years. And this is like your next up-and-coming fly half. I think it's pretty clear to me that Lolisio, under the tutelage of Stephen Larkham at the Brumbies, is a really good candidate for a future Aussie 10 for the next, you know, seven, eight years, potentially, if he keeps it up. So I just feel like it's really weird man management for me, the, the way he's been pulled in and out of the squad and started and then relegated and benched. Really odd. Especially if you look at the the games who he's played against. So he's played 12 tests. It's like 
five against New Zealand and four against England and none against Argentina, Scotland. Like he'd only played the hardest possible opponents. And it's just it's bizarre that, you know, like why he's not getting given a fair chance to, you know, like stamp his mark. It's, it's very weird. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel the like way he, that they're he, managing him. Yeah. I feel like he played really well in Super Rugby under quite a lot of pressure. Like the Brumbies yeah. were good, but obviously playing a lot of good teams who they weren't better than. And he, even in like, you know, sort of losing efforts, he was able to put his hand up and put in good performances. So it is a bit of a strange one to see that they're not like, it, it's, it would be such a good opportunity for just to back him, put your full trust in him and hope that he can grow and develop even more. And even, you know, they look at their, I would be playing Tate McDermott at nine, but they've been consistently selecting Nick White, who is his Brumbies teammate at Super Rugby level. So why are you not playing the combinations? I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, also in the Australian um, camp, there were a, a couple of, or at least one coaching change. So the defensive coach, um, what is his name? Uh, well, Laurie Fisher has been added, so he's obviously also part of the Brumbies coaching squad. He used to be their head coach. Uh, he's been added while Matt Taylor, their previous defense, co- defense coach, has left. It's also a bit of strange timing, this one. What do you make of that, Ant? I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't quite know what the reasoning behind it was, if there was maybe other stress involved or the, the tactical change. Um, I think my understanding was that it was personally driven that he stepped away from the role but I mean yeah changing your defense coach can't be good before you're about to play South Africa um so yeah I mean hopefully that's something we can exploit um but yeah it's, it's weird it's as you say just very strange timing to do this in the middle of a tournament yeah, yeah you must go and go and give Laurie Fisher a, a google a google images search he's like the world's best bucket hat ambassador, and he's the most Australian-looking bloke ever. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it feels like he's been around forever. I mean, I think he is yeah, quite... Yeah, there's a lot of respect for him in, in rugby circles. Yeah. And the other player that I forgot to mention that we made note of was, uh, I think it's Langy Gleeson, who was called up, who I wasn't so familiar with, but uh, I think, Andrew, you remembered him a little from Super Rugby. Yeah, you know, I, I'm very studious with my uh, draft prep. So got into the depths of the Waratahs, loose forwards, and looked up this Langy Gleeson fellow. But I still don't understand why on earth he's been selected. <laughs> like he started one game in Super Rugby this year. Um, there must be something we don't know about, whether that's like age grade uh, stardom or something he's done in sevens or... Um, maybe he's got dirt on Dave Rennie, I don't know, but it's a very odd selection for me when there's guys out there who, who've proven themselves over a few seasons and maybe have a couple of caps and you know some Super Rugby time to show for it. It's a bit of an odd one. Who would you be suggesting they should be calling in ahead of him? Well, there's a number of guys, and it's just at the Tars that played ahead of him, um, but quite a few players around uh, who have filled that role in the past. Um, you want me to throw out names? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I think Harry Wilson's in the squad, but he hasn't played like at all, right? He's played um, one game and people have not raved about him, even though at, 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 Reds, at the Reds he was like a powerhouse last season, I thought. Um, but as far as I know from reading a little bit, like Gleason is quite a, a bulky and bigger guy, so I, my understanding would be that's what they're going for it's also a position why why not go like tim anstey or fergus lee warner then if you're going to look at lucy's but they've also both been in the squad before huh i think so i mean that's anstey was the big talk of the town last year yeah yeah but aussies also love to rev up young players like way (laughs) over what they're actually promising yes i mean like two super rugby games in a day Proclaim someone as the next, you know, Stephen Larkin. Yeah. Yeah. Was, well, it, was that written about? Um, it was, was like Isaac, Isaac, I think it was Isaac Lucas or someone. Not even. Oh, yeah, it was something that was completely <laughs> bizarre. It's like yeah. no one knows. Yeah, one of those crazy ones. Um, to be fair, I guess Gleason is just in the squad. Maybe he won't get any game time. Maybe it's just to familiarise him, like with the structures. And he's, you know, he's still young. He's 21, so. 
it's an opportunity for a young player to to learn and yeah maybe he'll make his mark in the future yeah similar to i guess what the box are doing with kane and moody i don't suspect he'll play well, he's definitely not playing this week but i don't suspect he'll play next week either um unless something happens to Galant or another outside back but again like why is he there other than just to be part of the structures and start to embrace the culture and, and how things work so fair enough i guess yeah so the other big news which it feels like it was ages ago but it was at the beginning of the week i think was potentially good news for the rest of the world potentially not so good news for new zealand <laughs> but um new zealand rugby decided that uh ian foster is going to remain in charge at least for the time being um it's a rusty master strike <laughs> lose so, to the all blacks and keep ian foster in a job <laughs> yeah so as people have been saying you know south africa took one for the team took the home loss but kept foster in his job so uh be that as it may um he'll at least for you know the next two or so maybe four matches but um they're backing him i thought they've kind of given him assurance into the world cup yeah but if you lose, maybe if, like loose assurance i mean he's, he's got two home matches against argentina i feel like if if he can't win those two then you know, That's a very good point. Even yeah. with that, even with that assurance, they're going to push, push the panic button. So, um, I think that's that's not wrong. Yeah, but do you think it's a good thing for New Zealand, or do you think they've made a mistake going forward to the World Cup, seeing that the World Cup is less than eighteen months away? Well, based on that meme that Ant sent around, it sounds like Gatlin's burnt his bridges there at New Zealand Rugby, and Joe Smith. Apparently didn't want the top job, but he has moved into a more active role within the coaching setup. So, uh, and and Razor Robertson, I don't think is is also interested in the job at this point. Um, maybe after the World Cup, they'll relook at him. So I don't really know what other options they had. I mean, we talked about Robbie Deans. I don't, I haven't heard him actually being used in any other conversations. Um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm ecstatic. Great news. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think he is on a path to glory, um, to put it nicely. I think, like, yes, maybe this last game they played a bit more smart. But my opinion of that game is I still don't think, I think the, the, the All Blacks are being overhyped for their performance in that match. I mean, they did some basics better than they have in the last year, sure. But they were still throwing half their balls into touch. You know, it wasn't like they were suddenly the 2015 All Blacks. Um, and maybe that's something that they can work on and change. And the more Schmidt gets involved, they can get there. But fundamentally, they still don't have an inside center that's world class. You know, they lose forwards that look better balanced. Um, you know, but that's, that's, yeah, I'm, I don't think Foster is the man to take them to World Cup or Glory. So it's based on that alone, it's you know, probably good for the rest of us. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, you never know what could happen in a World Cup, but with Foster in charge, and obviously we have quite a number of matches beforehand, but I think there are going to be a number of other teams who will be liking their chances against the All Blacks just based on that. And yeah, someone's, someone's yeah. just got to give Michael Checker the, the message that he's only allowed to win one of his two games. Otherwise, <laughs> he's got he's to just calm, calm his farm. Just take take one win. Everyone will love it, and we'll keep we'll keep Fuzzy there. It's a team exactly. effort now. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever they need a win, yeah, just someone just take one for the team, just to keep him there until at least the World Cup. Speaking of New Zealand centres, and you mentioned they're still struggling. Um, Jack Goodhue, who seems to be struggling and having the worst luck at the moment, he is again having surgery, so he'll be out. Um, what do you think? I, I, I'm not quite sure if I if I see him as an answer for their number 12, but whether it's 12 or 13, it's certainly someone they're missing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird ones. I mean, it's been so long since he played now. Is he even good anymore? You know what I mean? Like like when Milner Scudder was just injured for so long, by the time he eventually came back, he just wasn't the same person. So, you know, like I think on form, sure, but I think there's so many question marks now. You can't you can't be pegging your hopes on on him. Yeah, he also didn't play twelve when he came back from injury. Um, Havili stayed at twelve and he moved to thirteen for most of the games, if I remember right. Right. So he hasn't had a whole lot of game time at twelve of late. But yeah, I feel for the guy. He's had some really really bad luck over the last two seasons. 
Yeah, and obviously um, Anton Leonard Brown is still out, and I feel like he is a player that New Zealand miss quite a lot. So even though they have a lot of options in their squad, they've stuck with Havilia and Ruko um, as their centre options, which, yeah. It's well, I mean, like, who's the other 12 in the squad? It's only RTS. And so, I mean, that's not exactly like a solid performer. I think. Quintapaya, he... Oh, okay, yeah. yes. He's the most century centre, I suppose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Rico's a wing and Vili's a fullback. Right, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, and RTS, I guess, is still learning, potentially. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, sure. So it's, it's, it's not a knock on any of them. It's just that they're, they're not traditional centres like Quintapaya. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so quickly moving to the other side of the world, um, just mentioning quickly that in the UK, um, in England in particular, the Worcester Warriors are facing some extremely difficult times. They apparently own, oh, oh sorry, over six million pounds in unpaid tax, and they could be looking at going into administration shortly, um, which puts their premiership status in peril, but also they, there's talk about them getting a points deduction, potentially up to 35 points at the beginning of the season, so that's not the best way to start a season. Um, they have a few South Africans. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, oh, tough for them. Um, just sounds a bit like FC Barcelona in terms of their inability to register players because they're also over salary caps and whatever, but that's probably a slightly different issue. Uh, yeah, bad bad luck for the players and the management who caught up in that. Um, it doesn't sound like it's a rugby issue. It sounds like it's an admin issue. Yeah, and there were also talks about Wasps being in a similar situation, although it doesn't seem to have followed through. So it sounds like it's um, yeah tough times, obviously, coming out of a pandemic with uh, fewer crowd or less crowd revenue and all of that. But um, yeah. No, they've got to join us in the URC where the TV ratings are picking up massively. <laughs> yeah, and that is a great segue to just mention that this week it was um, announced that over 34 million people in total tuned into the URC in a pretty impressive set of statistics for the debut season, which was not only um, disrupted by COVID, but you know, also a number of other things. Um, so for a first season and for, uh, you know, uh, all the, everything that happened, I think everyone who was involved can be pretty proud of, of what it's accomplished. Yeah, no, I mean, the URC, I think, was a great success in its first year. Um, no, I think it, it did take a little bit of time to get going because, I mean, A, the staffing teams were a bit bad for the first while, which didn't help. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's, it's a completely new group of players, opposition, teams, names, everything. You know, you've got to kind of get used to it from scratch. Yeah. Um, you know, we can look at a New Zealand lineup and know every player, know kind of a bit of their history and stuff. And you have the familiarity, which makes the rivalries a bit more fun. We don't obviously have that with many of the Irish players. You know, even the guys of the internationals, you don't quite know them in the same way you know um, the, the, the New Zealand players or the Aussies. So well, there was always going to be some teething problems. But I think it kind of grew into it really, really nicely. Um, and it's definitely, I think, breathed new life into South and rugby as a whole. If you look at you know, just the way Newlands is packed out every single week. I mean, so many people I know that I Newlands, know sorry. don't care about, sorry, <laughs> stadium, that don't care about rugby at all. Um, you know, they were going there every single weekend for the job. And, yep. you know, now as a result, they're going to every single, they're making plans to go to Bryce every Springbok game. So it's definitely, I think, reignited people's passions for against Africa. And that, maybe that helped because we had the two teams in the final. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's been a, been a great success. And it's good to see that the TV ratings came through to justify it. And, you know, hopefully the, the Northern Hemisphere are, are appreciative of what we're bringing to the comp. Yeah, I think South Africa... South African teams featured in something like seven or eight of the top 10 most watched matches. Yep. So I think the fact that we did, you know, we were rubbish to start. Let's be serious. Like <laughs> um, after the Bulls lost to Benetton on that um, first game before the URC started, it just, it signaled the start of something ugly and those first few weeks were not pleasant. But then the South African teams roared back and took advantage of that period where the Irish were not playing their top teams because they had some internationals off and stormed up the table. And I think the All South African final was about 
the best possible thing that could have happened for the URC going forward in terms of South Africans actually wanting to watch winning and exciting rugby for their local teams. So, yeah, just as well, we moved up north. And I guess the next question is, do we follow uh, for the Six Nations in two years' time when that um, Sanzar contract runs out? Or do we stick down south for our international derbies? We, we, we can save that debate for another day. Yeah. Such a learning, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. I uh, have such mixed feelings. I, I, I can't just say, uh, give an, e- an easy answer for that. Yeah, uh, just looking at the, you know, the individual matches, I was quite surprised to see the top um, viewed match, according to the statistics, was Ospreys against Sharks. Not necessarily because it was the Sharks, but Ospreys are one of the sort of um, not yeah, not the most popular team, not even the most popular Welsh team, I think. And so, I, I I don't know exactly what happened there, but it was a round three match as well, and it it's got over 580,000 viewers. So, however they measure these things, that sounds pretty impressive. Doesn't Squid support the Ospreys? Maybe he uh, <laughs> yeah, just, all of his replays to stream it, <laughs> just like ticked it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. And yeah, I I disagree about it being a super slow start. My um, fond memories of the Lions beating Zebra in Italy. It was probably like um, <laughs> one of one of the better Lions performances in the whole tournament. Um, that and beating the Stormers um, in Cape Town. Um, but yeah, otherwise, again this year we're going to have tricky starts, given that all the Springboks will be unavailable for the first part of the competition. But let's hope that COVID or nothing similar like that happens and we'll have a pretty cohesive season. And yeah, maybe we'll even get our draft going again. We'll have to see how how hype levels look in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll have to yeah, see. We'll have to chat, chat to the dad, see if they've got the <laughs> mental capacity. <laughs> exactly. Well, Matt, yeah. Matt was talking about launching his legacy league ideas. Yes. Yeah, so broader squads and keep, you keep your squad over the different seasons, which would be pretty interesting. But I think we have more more spare time in our hands than the dads, so maybe we have the advantage in the draft prep. Yeah. If we, it would be nice to have an advantage for a change, to be fair. <laughs> if, if we go down that road, perhaps we can uh, spend some podcast time talking about it. But, yeah, going for young players would be interesting. Um, before we move on to the the this weekend's matches, I think let's briefly discuss one last news item involving Cheslin Colby and I don't I don't want to necessarily say that it's um proper news because I don't know if any of the details have been confirmed but the news that came out was that the Stormers had offered him a lot of money uh I don't have the figure in front of me I think and 11 million rand a year 11 million rand a year and he was not so keen to take it based on safety concerns um yeah, like I said, I don't. I think there has been a bit of pushback in terms of different um, representatives not agreeing that what was said in the articles were true. But yeah, wh- what do you guys think about? I'll let Andrew comment, considering he's the the resident Stormers fan. I mean, I'll start off by saying I'd love to have Colby back at Western Province and the Stormers. Obviously, he's a world-class player. Um, and he, he was when he left, but he's he's just come on so far since his time in France. Um, on the other hand, geez, saying no to 11 million in a South African context, in any context, but particularly from a South African rugby team, is that that's a big decision. Um, and to say safety concerns, like you can you can afford a lot of personal safety with 11 million in terms of buying a yeah, I mean, security cool. estate. We all live here quite happily and, and yeah. are definitely not earning 11 million rand. Yeah, and they were um, I mean, you live in Joburg even, it's like, you know. Yeah, they, they, they'd offered him like ambassadorships with different brands, they'd offered his wife a job. Apparently, I mean, again, Phil said it like, we don't know if this is all true. Um, no one's released any official statements or anything as far as I know. But also, I think the big question is, where does Western Province Rugby, who were like close on bankruptcy and under financial administration, find 11 million per year to pay Jason Colby? Yeah, that's the really big question I have in my head is like, yeah, I mean, not that's, only- that's a lot of money. Hey? I mean, that's yeah. that must be one of the, the highest 
It's a bit not getting that at the Strush Sharks. Surely not, yeah. No, I think he's on like five or six million. I mean, it's like, it's a stupid amount of money in a South African rugby yeah. context. Like, I mean, just think about how many local, I mean, how many like development players you could afford for that. Like, is <laughs> All of them. is it even a good decision, you know, like to, yeah, to yeah. pay? Is Colby worth like 10 Evan Russes? Because best believe Evan Russ is not getting a buy, yeah? Yeah. You know, like, but also, you can probably spend yeah. that money on Colby, even if they do have it. It's, it's just, it's very weird all around. And he's under contract. Like he's he's only one year into a multi-year. I'm not sure how many year contract for Toulon. So they'd have to make some sort of agreement to get him out of that contract. They're not. I'm pretty sure Toulon are not just going to be like, yeah, you can go home. You're homesick or whatever the reasoning would be. So they put a lot of um, money, but also probably effort into getting him away from Toulouse. And and he. Yeah. I mean, what what was written about the situation was that Colby approached Western Province. It wasn't the other way around. So, so why, if you had safety concerns, why make the approach in the first place? It's all a bit odd. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is very, very strange. So, yeah, as you say, it's maybe still a little bit hearsay, hearsay, but it is very just weird. Yeah, all right, guys. Um, so Colby obviously won't be playing this weekend. He is still off injured. He wasn't announced in the squad. Um, but the the squad of the match 23 has been announced for Saturday. Uh, and may have mentioned it's 7.30 in the morning for us in South Africa. It's a bit earlier than usual, especially given that it's in Adelaide, of all places. I was reading about how South African... Uh, they, the Springboks are already in Adelaide training, but... Um, the Australian team are only going to arrive there on Thursday or Friday, and tickets aren't sold out. It's a bit of a strange place. They haven't played a test there in, I think, I may have read 2014 or so. It's not a traditional rugby powerhouse. Obviously, none of the super rugby teams are from there. So uh, hopefully that doesn't, um, you know, take anything away from the game. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we've we've seen the Springbok team announced. I think the the biggest talking points from that are Gallant comes in at 14. We see Dweber retain his place and Oxenchair as well um, with Marks on the bench. We There was a report that Marks potentially has a niggle. Um, and had a niggle. I think that was for the, had, for the previous had a game. For the previous game. Okay, sure. And then um, the other, I guess, big talking point is the setup of the bench going back to a 5-3 um, away from the 6-2 and including Franz Stein returning for his first game in a while as well as Elton Janchis. Um So yeah, uh, Ant, what, do you, what did you make of the team when you saw it this afternoon or this morning even? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have an issue with any of the starting line. I think that, yeah. oh, and Fuff comes back at nine. Yes. I think that that's all kind of fine. I mean, I've got we'll, we'll get into the marks versus whoever debate just now. Um, but I think I think the bench is the very interesting call, um, especially given they've got no visa. So you know, with Dwayne, you know how undercooked he was against All Blacks and to back him again, but without an out and out eighth man on the bench. I mean, yes, obviously Quach is a more than able replacement and he's played eight a lot, but you know he's not definitely not the the. Uh, even close to a like for like as say Lisa and Duane are. Um, so that's interesting, I think. I think the bench is interesting. I think the, the, the selection of starting with Dweber, that does make sense. I mean, I said it made sense at, at Ellis Park and I will stick by that. If you've got a question mark over a player, you start him, you don't bring him off the bench. Um, particularly if you have a strong, you know, uh, you think you're your second your bench player is meant to have impact or you to do our type of strategy where the starters play short minutes. You know, so say you bring off um uh um sorry you bring bring off marks at like 45 minutes. Now you've got 35 minutes of an underperforming player. So it makes sense to start with the guy that you question mark on, just like with Dwayne, you can bring on your your A game at 35 if you need to. Yes, that did mess up our bad bomb squad impact a little bit, but yeah, I still don't think that was the wrong decision. Um yeah, for Fuff, it'll be good to see him getting a go again. Um, glad that he's you know, not completely you know, brain mush um, after that horror tackle. <laughs> well, we'll um, see on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean, but the bench is the interesting one. Obviously, we're going for a much less of a physical dominant performance. 
um, which is kind of what the, the, the 6-2 will go for. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Elton brings to maybe spread the ball a little bit more in the second half. Yeah. Andrew, I know you're not a massive, to put it lightly, Elton fan, but um, <laughs> yeah, do you, do you also agree that, that we might see a tiny bit more expansiveness from the box this weekend? Maybe. Um, you know, that is sort of Elton's stronger suit is playing that, that more expansive game. Um, with Damien Willemse in the side, I don't know why we need Elton on the bench other than just to keep him in the fold and to give him minutes. And I think Jacques Nienaba said as much in the in the press conference saying that we need to give him important game time or something like that. So fair enough. I wish there was an alternative, but I think that's what we're going with. So you do need to play the man from time to time to make sure he's still match sharp. Um, I'm not the biggest fan. As you said, I'd rather we'd have other players there. But also, I think it's a similar situation with Franz Stein. Like, I, he's not. He's obviously a Springbok legend, but again, Villiers had such a good time of it off the bench recently clawing back some of that reputation, like Willie's reputation just goes in swings and roundabouts, like the poor man gets crucified by the public and the next week's a hero. Um, and I think those of us who watch a bit closer see a lot of the good stuff that he does do on and off the ball. Um, so I feel I feel a bit for Willie uh, losing out this week. Um, uh, mostly happy with the selections. I think keeping Dwayne in is an interesting call. We all know what he's capable of and there's some people complaining after a very average showing against the All Blacks, let's be frank, um, and saying that he's over the hill. But um, I would like to see them say that to his face. He is, he is 36 years old now, so we do have to keep bear that in mind. Um, but as Anne says, interesting then not to keep Lisa on the bench, who's been very good uh, and is more of that brawn replacement. Uh, I'd be interested to know what happens when Crocker comes on, whether he... Uh, goes to six and Colisi to eight perhaps uh, might be one solution given that Colisi's played a lot at eight re- uh, not recently but over his career. Yeah. Yeah. And the the Dweba, I think Quaker plays predominantly as an eight in Japan. So. Yeah. And all, but Colisi hasn't has been coming up relatively early in the previous yeah. two matches. Um, and I don't know if it was part of the um planned beforehand or if it was based on what was happening on the field but it, yeah it will be interesting obviously with that 5-3 split to see if Khaleesi gets more minutes or where those minutes will come from. I think for me the biggest frustration having the 5-3 split is that they're like if the same thing happens and the right wing gets injured again are we just going to do exactly the same thing that happened last time because we don't have anyone on the bench who can play on the wing. I mean that. That, that's fundamentally the problem with having Elton as a bench option because he only covers 10. And if you've then got Pollard as your 10, you know, he's yeah. only covering inside centre. So you really, yeah. Elton does not give you any versatility. Yeah, like um, so, so Elton 12 at a push, but then Franz Stein also covers 12 and 10. So everything that Elton's covering, potentially Franz Stein and, is covering. And, and, and Willemse covers 10 yeah. and 12. You know, so there, there's no reason. You've already got it. Two, we've now got four players on the pitch that can cover 10. Yeah. And then, you know, so that's and they can all cover twelve, except for Elton. You know, so it's like Elton doesn't bring anything extra to the uh, bench cover. So you know, if you play Elton, that's fine. I mean, if you put Elton on the bench, then don't go with Ron Stan. Go with South, go with an out and out, like outside back. You know, then I suppose maybe we don't have one in the squad, so that might be the problem. But um, you know, you should then go with an Elton and a Billy. Uh, yeah. But even then, I don't. If, if Lee's not going to cover wing, then I don't really like him as a bench option. Yeah, um, exactly. I that, agree. That irritated me a lot last last week. You know, I think just playing Villy at the on the wing off the bench would have solved a lot of our problems. Yeah. And if I don't think he's fast enough to do it, then you know he shouldn't really be playing there. Yeah. Um, and like like I said, I feel like if um. Gallant goes down, that we're going to put um to wing again and do the same thing. Um, yeah, but that's just stupid. which is frustrating. Yeah, we, like we saw. Well, it just messes messes up all your defense. You know, you're putting four players out of joint instead of one. Yeah. You know, we we all know on rugby eight how important it is how much worse people play when you play out them out of position. If you've got the option to play one person out of position, you do that instead of four. Yeah. 
exactly. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully Gallant can play a full 80 um, and also Mapimpi on the other side. And the changes that they will make will hopefully be more based on the coaches um, yeah, adding impetus from the bench rather than having to react to an injury. But we'll see how that goes. Um, I, th- I, I think we're not going to see the Australian lineup until probably Thursday morning. Um, I'm not quite sure how their injury situation is looking, but do you guys think that we're going to see any major surprises? Um, fly half? Do we think Lalesia is going to get given that shot or put Foley straight in? Someone else even? What do you think, Andrew? Um, what? Um, <laughs> I'll give, give Ant the floor on that one. I mean, I think it would be ridiculous if they fly Bernie Foley and immediately give him the starting journey jersey. That would just be a massive slap in the face. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they surely can't do that, but you know, who knows? They, they do do strange things. Um, I think in terms of the injury situation, there's a lot of talk about bringing um, uh, Andrew Kelloway back into fullback if he's available, um, which I think that that does make sense um, given how, you know, kind of exploited I think uh, Tom Wright was and 15 by the Argentinians. And, you know, we're definitely not going to kick less <laughs> than Argentinians. So going from out and out fullback does make a lot of sense, I think, for them. Um, so Kelloway ticks that box a little bit um yeah otherwise it'll just be interesting to see what they decide to go with um and i don't think has killaway played that much at 15 isn't he more of a wing i think he's more of a wing that more of a fullback that played wing okay um but yeah yeah, i mean he can can kind of do both but he's definitely a a more natural fullback than someone like Pattaya or yeah. uh, Tom Tom Bright. I think they'll stick with Reese Hodge there at fifteen. To be to be fair, but Reese Hodge yeah, is their, a, their utility. Yeah, he's the <laughs> tw- magical twenty-three player. Yeah, and they're trying to he's, do the yeah. same with Jordan. Pattaya. I mean, Hodge is the safe option, but like he's not going to win you. He's not going to lose you a game. He won't win you a game. No, I, I mean let's let's be honest. The Aussies are really missing Tom Banks right now. Which says something, yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I think Kellaway has like the sort of more tactical um, positioning and that sort of ability for a 15. But I think under the high ball, he's obviously not the biggest guy, and it's potentially um, somewhere where we can make some inroads and exploit them a little if Kellaway is playing 15. Um, not that he's bad, like I said, but he's just not, um, he's no Geordie Barrett in the air, who obviously wasn't that good in the first test, but just in terms of physical dimensions. So, yeah, I, I, I think when we see the lineup, it will be interesting, even if they pick what we would perceive as their um, strongest starting 15. But given their injury situations and having to make changes and bringing in someone like Foley after years of not playing, whatever we see is going to be pretty interesting. Here's uh, Jock Campbell with the squad. I was just about to ask. Yeah, I think I saw his name there. Um, I mean, he's not a bad option. I mean, he's definitely the most natural fullback of anyone we've mentioned. But you know, to throw a, a fullback in on their debut against the Springboks is not exactly the <laughs> the nicest introduction either. Has he not played for Australia? That's bizarre. Jeez. I don't. I don't think so. No. I think you're right though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a weird matchup for the Springboks because normally I would think that Australia are not the most physical team. It's it's one that should suit the Springboks in terms of, you know, the sort of um, being a bit weaker to the natural game plan. But obviously we haven't played very well recently against Australia. So they, however they managed to do it, managed to, you know, um, be a more than decent matchup. So... Like you said, Ant, at the beginning, potentially looking at it a bit differently, playing in a different way. Do you think we are giving up some more physicality? Um, and is that a different approach to what we saw maybe last year? I'm trying to remember. I think we did. I mean, did we go in with six twos last year against them? Um, I feel like against Australia, we normally go five, five, three. But yeah, either way, it's, it's 
I think it's if there's a game where you don't need as much physical dominance, it's against Australia. Like I think we could probably get away with it if we wanted to, and maybe if it was a World Cup semi-final, we would. Um, but I think maybe you know maybe part of it is we're trying to expand our game and things like that, and and this is a good game to do that, uh, and you know play someone like Alpen who's maybe a bit um, out of form. And it's maybe less of a risk. I don't know. I mean, look, it, it, again, it sounds very arrogant and dodgy to say that given our, our recent track record in Australia. Um, and, and we need, you know, need to be mindful of that. We're not walking in there as favorites necessarily. Or as, you know, to have a, you know, we haven't won there in what, eight years or something, nine years. So, so we do need to be very careful, I think, um, about getting ahead of ourselves. But at the same time, yeah, we should, I mean, we should beat them. Like, I think... <laughs> 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 Famous last words. Or yeah. Not so last. yeah. 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 I, I, I should maybe stop premising, pre- prefacing my, my comments with that. <laughs> I mean, I mean look, no. I mean, actually, to be fair, if we are are the Springboks, as in we think we're the best team in the world, we should be going into every game expecting to win. You know, and and being upset if we lose. And I think that's not the wrong. I don't think it's arrogant to feel that way i mean i think we're being circumspect about it i don't think we're going to say we're going to rock up there and do that but i think we should you know back ourselves to win yeah yeah i think that's fair enough yeah i've managed to undig my hole good (laughs) (laughs) And, and we sort of touched upon it earlier you know mentioning Dwayne, but especially the guys on the bench and Alton and stain and ninaba saying that he needs to give them game time do you guys think it's you know, the very, I guess, short-term view of looking at the World Cup and having the squad ready for the World Cup, making sure everyone has some game time. Do you think that it's a little short-sighted in terms of looking even beyond the World Cup and for the future and not giving, whether it's someone like Ivan Ross or even Elrachler, who's in the touring squad, um, or any of the potential young backs? I know, Andrew, you mentioned Fassi, but even fly-half options, we know outside of... Pollard and Elton, there's a massive drop to the next fly half. So just that sort of future thinking beyond the World Cup, it seems like none of that is happening. We're very focused on, which is not necessarily a bad thing, and maybe it's 100% the right approach. But yeah, Andrew, I know Fassi, that sort of thinking maybe even for the World Cup, so perhaps that's a bit different. But for some other positions, do you think that this coaching team should be looking further ahead, or do you think they're more than entitled more than entitled to just think about up to the World Cup and that's it? I think I think what they are doing is looking for that next World Cup and looking to defend the title. Um, in terms of what I think they should be doing, you've got to strike a balance in some way, and they've done that to some extent with some of the players. I mean, we were going through the other day the the number of caps that each of the players has, and we're getting some really incredible squad depth now, and we're getting some people who were nearly nowhere in, you know, 2017, 18, ahead of the 2019 World Cup, who became stalwarts in like 18 months. Um, so they did do that for for the last World Cup, and they haven't been doing as much of it now. Those players that, you know, we have mentioned a few of those names who have got uh, game time here and there, so they've they've blooded them, they've exposed them to the to the setup, but I, I'm not happy that they've done enough for the post 2023 World Cup. I think 95% of the focus right now is retaining the World Cup, which if that's their if that's their main objective and that's how they've decided to approach it as a senior management group, then I guess that's that's what they've got to deliver on. Yeah, I mean I think it's we also need to give them a bit of slack in the sense of we lost two years of development because of COVID. Uh, well, a year and a bit because of COVID. And then because of the Lions tour and the tough touring we did last year, you know, we didn't, we haven't had a normal four-year cycle. Yeah. You know, a lot of the guys that maybe would have got shots in 2020 didn't get shots. Then we had the Lions tour, so you're not going to throw in rookies. And then by the time you get to to now, it's like, well, now it's only a year out. So even if you start giving people caps, uh, you know, so I do have some sympathy on that front. Um, the big question is, you know, you lose Pollard now, what do you do? But I think that that shift probably sailed um, to an extent. Like, if even if you say give Jordan Hendricks every start between now and the World Cup, are you going to be happy for him to start a World Cup final? No, you're probably still going to start Elton, except unless your name's Andrew. But 
So I think that's <laughs> that's kind of just where we're at um, yeah. in the cycle, and it's, it's is what it is. But we, you know, I mean, Pollard's. It's not like the squad's the all going to retire after this World Cup. I mean, the only guys that are obviously going to retire are um, Dwayne, Franstein. I think everyone else has probably still got another two, three years in them at least. Uh, but Pollard will be looking at the next World Cup. Um, yeah, probably maybe as well. Maybe you know, Billy, like, Billy might call it a day. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, even know if he really. has a has a team for you know the domestic season. Yeah, so so you know I think there are a couple of guys, but the, the couple of guys that are rotating out, we really do have replacements lined up. You know, we have Willemser for Dwilly. We have um, you know there's a couple of fullbacks in the squad like Willemser. I mean, sorry, like like Fassi, um, for, for and Khalanto for. Lily, you've got Visa and Ruiz and Lowe, you know, looking up at Dwayne. So the guys that are going to rotate out, we do have depth for, um, but I think they, they will definitely need to be a lot more focused on bringing in, you know, your, your Lowe's and your Ruiz's and your Hendrix's post the World Cup. Although there is, there is comments I've seen saying that they're expecting Ruiz to play against Argentina, either in Argentina or in South Africa. Um, I can't remember where I read that, but there was, there was comments saying that, you know, like he's very much not out of the plans. It's just they were yeah. limited squad size and they have, they know who they want to play where. Uh, yeah. Because he, he hasn't made his so debut. I, I mean, right? the, Lewis. No, yeah. he played against uh, Wales. Oh, he did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. In the 14 man change. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, so you can see like they're definitely not ignoring that. You know, that, that was a, a planned move, obviously, at the kind of, well, I still don't think it backfired, and I don't think it was arrogant. But you know, they're aware that they do need to bring in younger guys when they can. Um, so yeah, it, it's just where they have the opportunity to do it. I suppose is the question. Um, and realistically, there's just not many opportunities when you're trying to be the number one team in the world. You, know, you can be like England and come fifth in the World Cup. I mean, in, in the Six Nations and blood new players, but. How many people are going to be happy with that? <laughs> and somehow Eddie Jones keep his job. Yeah, it's, I mean it's a, it's a tough balancing act for coaches, right? That's the thing. If you, even if you try and build for a World Cup, you have to be pretty good, even if you're like trying new things. Because normally, fifth place for England, you wouldn't last. But Eddie Jones made it work. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a few positions in the box squad where we're not sure of the depth. We have some exceptional depth at like loose forward and in the props, for instance. Fly off, obviously one that's been talked about a lot. Uh, hooker, we're finding out quickly that our third choice hooker is a bit of a drop off and needs needs some time to settle. Um, and we haven't really talked about Martin Dweber, but we've we've given that a lot of airtime over the previous one or two episodes. I don't know how much more time we need to give it, other than Dion Ferris, the only other hooker in the squad. And do you really want to be playing Dion Ferris over Joseph Dweber? I don't I don't think so at this point, especially since he hasn't played hooker a lot. Um, the other position for me that we're not that clear on is 13. Like, yes, Jesse Creel seems our our immediate replacement at 13 if, if Am is out or if we need to rotate him. Other than Jesse, who do we have at 13 coming up bubbling under? I think it, it would be playing someone out of position in the short term. You know, it would be pushing someone out like Dialenda and push, putting Willemser at 12. Something less than ideal in terms of, like Ant was saying earlier, pushing people around. Um, because Similani was involved in a training squad, I think, but he hasn't been looked at this year. Uh, he, he wasn't great last year. He's going to have a new start now for the Bulls. Um, yeah, perhaps. Which I think will be very good for him. Him and, of course, I think are both going to hopefully get some really good Jake White improvements under their belts. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm also hoping Dweber at the Stormers. I, I, I think he just wasn't getting enough game time in for Bordeaux. He wasn't first choice, and he had to battle for second choice and played, you know, not as frequently as he should have. So I'm hoping Dweber for the Stormers will just give him that consistent game time to see the growth happen that sort of still needs to happen. Yeah, no, I completely back that. Yeah, okay. But um, so, yeah, and you were telling us that you were confident earlier. Andrew, if you're putting your Super Bowl on it, what would you say for the weekend for Australia? We'll start with Australia-South Africa, and we'll also mention the other game, which we haven't spoken about at all. 
<laughs> you know, we're not biased on this podcast at all. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think we need to head into this game expecting to win, despite all the disclaimers about our history over in Oz, which is pretty dreary. But I think we have to expect to win, especially with some of those key Australian uh, combinations messed up because of injury and a lot of younger guys being exposed to test rugby. Uh, I think we should have the forward dominance um, to to get the go-forward ball we need. And hopefully it doesn't require a France Stain long-distance penalty to win it, but at least he is there if we do. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, I, I, I think we've chosen our strongest team as well. Like, even if there are some minor debates, like Ant said at the beginning, he wasn't too surprised with or didn't have any major quarrels. So, strong team, confident, should be able to push Australia. Obviously, there is that little bit of bad history, but um, yeah, I'm also confident. So, we're saying three out of three for a Springbok win. Um, Ant, any chance that Argentina can... Um, upset New Zealand and Ian Foster fans even more? I mean, there's always a chance. I mean, they did show it whatever it was last year or two years ago when they did win in New Zealand. Um, so, you know, you can't, can't rule it out. I mean, I don't, wouldn't put any money on it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I don't think it's the most far-fetched thing that could happen, um, especially with Chica. And, I mean, if you think about the way that the RGs played against Australia. I mean, they played really good rugby. I mean, Argentina. I mean, Australia didn't play particularly well either, to be fair. But you know, there's definitely talent. I mean, the players on paper in that Argentinian team are really good, and they, you know, they've got a World Cup finalist coach. So um, maybe we don't want to give Chica too much to thinking up there. But you know, they they're not a bad team, Argentina at all. Um, and I think you know, particularly by the World Cup, they're going to be a very good side. Um, they might shock one or two people. So, yeah, it'll be cool. I'm excited for that game as well. Andrew, do you agree? Yeah, I'm excited for that game. I'm interested to see what the New Zealanders do in terms of their selections. I think the RGs will stick to what's worked for them over the last two weeks. Um, and, yeah, I think they they have a chance, probably as good a chance as they've ever had Um for an upset win, but it would still be an upset in my eyes. Um, and just just to note, they're playing in Christchurch, which is the first Test match in Christchurch since 2016. So quite a cool moment to have uh, Test match rugby back in Christchurch. Yeah, it's not a big stadium. Um, I think it's like 20,000 or so. Um, but obviously Christchurch is one of the um, spiritual homes of New Zealand rugby. Um, yeah, I think Argentina missing De La Fuente. He hurt himself scoring that one try last week. Um, but mm-hmm. they're getting some good players back. I think Petty's back and a few others. So that's, hopefully big, that's big. Yeah, hopefully they can put together whatever their strongest team is now. And if not win, at least make a real contest of it. They are currently the log leaders as well after two home matches against Australia. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it's a bit of a, an, an advantage. But um, yeah, a, a win here would be massive. I think one out of two... For the next two games, they would more be more than happy with that. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping for a good game. All right. So yeah, I just don't want to do a whitewash either way. Yeah, exactly. So, any closing comments for the weekend going forward? Anything that you're particularly looking forward to? I know that there's some sevens on this weekend. I think it's the American leg of the World Series. Um, but yeah, and what do you, what do you want to close well, with just, for the weekend? I mean, just on the sevens, I mean, it's very tight between us and Aussie, so it'd be lovely if we could you know, stretch that lead and, and take the series um, and just add another trophy to our cabinet so we've been growing, um, even if we didn't manage to the Freedom Cup back in it. But yeah, I just hope we, as always, keep improving. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, uh, let's hope we give Neil Powell a good send-off. It's, I think, his second last World Series tournament if I'm not wrong, and he's got the Sevens World Cup. Uh, so we, I mean, we're currently world champions, Lions Tour champions, URC champions, uh, Sevens World Series holders, uh, Commonwealth Games under champions. 20s, under 26. Under 20s. So, so we've got to win the World Series and we've got to win the Sevens World Cup. 
um that's just non-negotiable right now so good luck to them <laughs> <laughs> non-negotiable yeah no pressure <laughs> yeah all right and thanks to everyone who's been listening wherever you may be and um we hope that you enjoy the weekend's rugby as well and we'll see you again next week cheers cheers